You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. From time to time, I have guests on the show that bring us some very special information, and today is going to be one of those kinds of programs. I have a guest. Her name is Kathy Gallowitz. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be with you. And as you, if you're watching in the video, but we will talk about it for those of you streaming right now, we are going to talk about veterans, uh, U.S. military personnel, former and present, that are looking for opportunities to transition. Maybe they've already made the transition, but they're looking for additional support and ideas. And for those of you who are employers, you may or may not know of programs that can help with attracting highly motivated, highly skilled talent from the veteran community. And Kathy herself is a veteran. And uh, uh, thank you for your service, Kathy. Tell, tell us a little bit about that service journey that you were on. Oh, great. Thanks for asking. Love to share that part of my life. So I grew up as a Navy kid and really just learned to appreciate uh, my country uh, as a Girl Scout, as a military dependent, really uh, fundamentally understood the importance that each one of us has as a, as a citizen of this great nation to serve, to give back. And so all I really wanted to do was to have a full military career. Did not join the Navy, instead joined the Air Force, which my dad was fine with. I spent 29 years in the um, either active duty, reserve, or guard. Uh, my first choice career was Air Force nursing. And then uh, halfway through my career, I, I transitioned over into public affairs. The crowning achievement of my military career then, Doug, was to establish a never been done before outreach program in response to 9-11 to educate and engage civilians in support of troops and their families. Because um, as you, as many of our listeners may or may not know, uh, in the reserve component, 80% of them are part-time. So that means they either have a full-time civilian job or they're going to school full-time. So our employers immediately certainly were uh, affected by the deployments of the reserve component. And so that's where it started. We really wanted to ensure employers understood the value of veteran talent and felt like and understood that they were an important part of the national security team so that, um, you know, they, they really kind of understood and, and felt supported in managing the absences of their employees and uh, felt like they were really a part of the team. And then we reached out to other groups. So that's kind of a, a cliff note version. Yeah, you, you packed several things into that stream there, and I, I want to break it apart a little bit. First off, I think, is the understanding and appreciation for the spirit, the heart, and the mind that says, I want to put on a uniform, I want to go to training, and I want to defend this great nation. That That is a mindset that is frankly, not common among everyone. And I think there are many certainly who appreciate folks that will do that, but for the individual, male or female, that 
makes that choice and goes that direction, it it does create a life changing series of events. Go ahead. Yes. Well, yeah. sure, sure it does. I mean, our country spends millions of dollars to transition someone from being a civilian to a warrior, which of course is absolutely essential. The the discipline, the teamwork, the risk taking, the the stamina, the stoicism. I mean, all those things are are you know really necessary for military service because you have to be willing to do really hard things, you know, in in, in the name of freedom. And um, it takes a certain mindset, a certain physical ability, a certain intellectual ability to really do those things. But but Doug, when we when we finish military service, we don't spend millions of dollars per person on helping them transition home. It's really uh, disappointing and a big gap in in our society to help a military member transition, you know, culturally from their military mindset to to you know behaviors that you know are essential in the uh, in the military work uh, that, that are also very important uh, in civilian work and in our community work, but it's very different. Um, not only is there a huge loss of identity, but you know things like communication style are different, or maybe seriousness of purpose, or maybe um, you know discipline and motivation. Uh, th th those things are oftentimes different too because of the the cultural differences between military and civilian life. And so we have a, we have a long way to go to, to really help um, our service members transition well at work and transition well uh, back home in their, in their communities. I've always found there, there's a fundamental irony in the challenge that recruiters and hiring managers talk about, and that is they, they struggle connecting the dots, taking the military experience and aligning that with job requirements and transferable so-called civilian skills. But in reality, there is an amazingly strong overlap of skills that are learned and developed in the military that can contribute immense value to a business effort. Well, so, well thank you. Thank you for saying that. I think um, most of most everyone would agree that, you know, military people are natural leaders, they're disciplined, they have strong work ethics. Um, but where it gets a little bit and, and our values based, right? Uh, where it gets a little messy is that, you know, you, you think, okay, well, how do I take someone who is an infantry man, an infantry man who really goes out into the battlefield and does the hard work uh, on the battlefield? How do I take that military occupational specialty code and translate it into something that works in the civilian workforce where there is no battle, right? Well, there's, thank goodness, there's um, very effective tools, military skills translators. ODNET is my favorite. Uh, and and it, you can really put in there a, a military MOS and it, you'll get a list of civilian jobs that that infantryman is eligible for, plus the knowledge, skills, and abilities. And there's also a military crosswalk where you can put in the civilian title and get, um, you know, the military jobs that will uh, meet the requirements for those. And it's just really important to remember that uh, that that military skills are highly transferable that military people are just really good students. They're used to being trained, 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 and then trained some more and applying what they learn 
and you know they 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 know how to meet mission and then what that means is you know meet the requirement if not exceed the requirement and most of our people are highly motivated want to contribute are all about mission focus and so if you're if you're lucky enough to get one of those people and hire for aptitude and train there's really a great return on investment for that but you got to dig a little deep a little a little deeper maybe they may not have the exact job uh, experience that you have, but holy cow, you know, um, I think in my life, I've had like 17 different jobs in six different industries. And, you know, we're just highly adaptable. And that's one of the primary skills that employers seek is someone who can be adaptable, who and, and now this day and age, you know, is tech savvy and, um, you know, can can really help strengthen your workforce. I think back, you know, I'll tell a really quick story in, in my own transfer out of military into civilian work. I I was recruited by and went to interview at a at a large regional bank. And several of the gentlemen on the interview panel process that we went through were themselves ex-military. So they immediately said, Doug's ready to go in one of our management jobs. You know, I was an officer. Um, I had certainly led teams and, and units of function, so I knew how to manage people and, and process. So these guys were all in favor, but our HR director said, no, all new officer personnel of the bank must go through our officer training program. And uh, there, there was quite an intramural battle, apparently, or at least so I'm told. But in the end, the HR director prevailed. She said, well, we'll, in his case, the only thing I'll concede, I'll cut the program from nine months to six months. Wow. But he will be on the program. And you know sure. what? I have to say, kudos to her. Yeah. She had great, great yeah. wisdom and insight. It yeah. was a real boost to my own transition to be able to go through that program, make the migration, do a, a, a slower transition, and... Yes. All the while, to your point, learning a whole lot about the nuts and bolts of how the bank really operated. Sure, sure. And well, we, to this we, day, it's a huge, you know, plus mark in, in, in my profile. Well, I love hearing you say that because, um, you know, it's easy to make a lot of assumptions. But, you know, I mean, leadership, as you know, is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. I borrow that from John Maxwell. That's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it is. Um, but I suggest to you that influencing a military member in uniform who is highly motivated usually and certainly highly disciplined, knowing that, you know, it is your job, you know, to follow lawful orders, to follow reasonable orders uh, that, that are right minded. We just have a different approach to kind of, you know, getting the work done. And so there's a, a transition process, a transition time frame not only in our, uh, in, in, in every way, right? Um, you know, maybe the sense of urgency, maybe um, how you build teams and how you offer feedback. You know, those things are, those things are very real um, and, and, it, and it does take time. So kudos to your HR person for, you know, really, you know, making you go line. through that program. Yeah, holding yeah, the, holding line. the yeah, line on it. Exactly. 
Well, um, you know, the other side of that coin, I think, I, I had a gentleman on my show earlier this year who talked about um, he himself was not ex-military, but he had a, a bit of a, a campaign he was on. He was cautioning business leaders who themselves were not military to stop using military vernacular to talk about their business. You know, we, ha we have to take the hill, we have to win this war, uh -huh. we have to win this battle, you know, and things, yeah. uh, phraseology that you hear in the work world. And it, it was interesting to hear his, I'm not sure what his original motivation was on why he kind of gravitated that direction, but he, um, well, he, he was, he was the, this leader was using that vernacular for all employees, right? Not right, just the military. Right, okay. All right. right. Interesting. Yeah. Right. And uh, my my guest, uh, he was a guest on the show, and his point was, he he felt as though bona fide service members who had had those experiences didn't need to be subjected to that in the work world because it, it was different. They, they were in fact not taking a hill. They might've had a project or a deadline right. or, a, or yeah. a market opportunity to go conquer. Sure. Yeah. But the effort to get there, there, there would not be anyone at risk with, mm -hmm. with bullets flying through the air, you know, during well, that business campaign. Certainly, he was trying to rally the troops, so to speak, and, you know, inspire and motivate people. And, you know, that's understandable. But, you know, the, you know, it's all about being sensitive culturally to the recipient who might be hearing that message. Right. And and uh, and so maybe that might be a little uh, off target, if you will. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of that, uh, so let's um, uh, let, let's talk about some of the current events in the work world now, and uh, how are you seeing things evolve for initiatives that are that are supporting mm. service members and veterans making transition? But but there's so much going on in the business world now with DEI campaigns and programs, um, everything about diversion, equality, and inclusion. That, well, and, I'll and, just start with that one. That's one well, of, you know, that's top of mind. Well, and so DEI and B, B for belonging, that's the most recent phraseology. And before I go there, um, Doug, I want to back up and say that it is an exciting time in our nation because veteran unemployment is at historic lows and is, is typically below 3%, no matter when you look at the uh, Look at the data, but unfortunately, veteran underemployment continues to be pretty high—30 percent, or I've seen one statistic; it's like 15 times greater than it might be for a, a non-veteran mm -hmm. employee. And so, you know, the 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 demand for veteran talent continues to be fierce and growing. We've got lots of nonprofits and industry-specific initiations. Uh, programs, initiatives is what I meant to say. Um, just, you know, people are getting in the game. And uh, everywhere I go, my goal is to drive up the demand for veteran talent and, you know, state, state, to, the state governments getting involved. And, um, and it's just everywhere you look, you see a lot of programs trying to attract veteran talent. States are getting into that business as well. Come 
come live in our state. We'll take care of you and we're going to get you a great job. I, I hope we can do, do that more and better in Arizona. If any veterans out there are listening, we've got a great manufacturing industry. Come join us. And it's a highly friendly veteran ecosystem. But, um, you know, so, so that's the good news. It's certainly very different from, you know, yesteryear of what our Vietnam veterans experienced. And, um, and, and yet, you know, the, the, the programs that prepare our veteran job seekers are lukewarm at best. Um, uh, you know, there's some exciting programs happening that help, you know, help uh, veterans really uh, have a different mindset. And there's more and more programming to help employers so let's talk about DEI and B for, for a minute. Uh, recently attended a, uh, a half-day conference with a 30-year DEI professional, and he commented that, you know, you, you can't just get up and give a, a one-hour, two-hour, multi-hour presentation briefing on how to be more inclusive, right? I mean, DEI, diversity and inclusion is wrestling with really tough stuff that is highly embedded in our thinking and our culture and biases, right? And so there's never a finish line in the diversity and inclusion world. But um, I, I would like to uh, uh, offer and perpetuate the notion of creating ways to have shared experiences, to, to share stories, to share understanding, to build trusted relationships not just offer, you know, a, a one-way PowerPoint, hey, any questions, but create activities in the workplace or anywhere that put people together who are different from one another and, and really kind of force them, maybe lead them with some, you know, give them some leading questions or some activities um, because it takes time to develop those trusting relationships. And that's very true for military veterans as well. I mean, we already feel very disconnected 55% of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans feel disconnected. You know, for women veterans, it's sometimes even a little more awkward um, just because of social norms and sometimes misunderstandings or stigmas that are associated. Um, you know, we all have those biases and, and lack of understanding. So any way you can build familiarity and understanding is a great tactic, so to speak, uh, for your DEI initiative. But for now, um, the, uh, the entry point for most veteran hiring is diversity, equity, inclusion. I contend that it is really a talent acquisition, attraction, and retention strategy. Certainly, it's part of DEI, but it's a broader uh, opportunity. A, a, a business can make a broader investment by really seeing it as a talent acquisition and recruitment strategy. Does that does that answer your question, or at least yeah. you know, offer feedback? No, that's great. I, I I think that does parallel a lot of the things I hear from my client companies and things they're wrestling with and struggling with. So to your point, absolutely, DEI is not a one and done kind of workshop presentation. It it needs to be woven into the culture. The discussions need to be ongoing. The programs need to be ongoing. We've talked about it enough. Let's, you know, now let's go well, get some things done. And, and I think the uh, ERGs, BRGs, employee resource groups, business resource groups, if you're a company large enough that has that nestled within your DEI initiative, if you're a smaller company, 
I encourage you to develop something, you know, that, that captures the veteran's voice, be it a council, a committee, just some way. I think it's particularly helpful for veterans. A, they need the um, mutual support to help them transition. The bonding is quick. The uh, mentoring is amazing. Um, and and the, the opportunity for the employer to benefit from their collective voice is great. Uh, to, you know, they're, they're going to have ideas about how to improve efficiencies. Um, they're going to have ideas about how to help other veteran hires do well. What employer wouldn't want to hear that information and, you know, most importantly, respond to it and, and apply what they learn from their veteran's voice, be it through a, a, an ERG, BRG, or just a committee that a, a smaller employer pulls together to, to, um, help those veterans be heard. I mean, you know, everybody wants to, you know, most people want to be heard, but I think, you know, veterans bring a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of skills, values, and experiences that will benefit the civilian workforce. And I, I think they should be heard. Agreed. Totally agreed. Well, let's, um, let, let's talk a little bit about, I, I guess I'm going to call it two sides of the coin. So, so let's start first with that, service member who might be listening and struggling themselves with making their transition or or gaining that full employment not just the underemployed they they might have a paycheck but it's not everything they know they really can deliver what are some of the things we should encourage them to think about in continuing the journey to make a successful transition. Well, I, I feel like you're setting me up here, boss, for a, a, a leadership pro professional growth answer, which is really important, right? Is that kind of where you're going with this? Um, it, as, a, as a John Maxwell speaker, training speaker trainer coach, I really get how little we as Americans tend to invest in our own personal and professional growth. Um, and uh, veterans have a lot of skills and uh, skills and attributes and values to contribute at work. However, it's not like we spend hours figuring out what our strengths are, hours understanding what gives me meaning and purpose. You know, we we um, we have some leadership development uh, uh, training, of course, but. Uh, you know, it, it truly is an investment in ourselves to really take seriously, okay, what what are my strengths? Um, where do I fear, feel most valued? What, what, you know, what gives me the most satisfaction? Because once you understand those things, that's where you're going to excel, right? And, you know, in our experience in the military, we're more used to responding to the needs of the military the needs of the particular workforce versus our needs. That's why we're so highly adaptable. We're not robots, we're highly adaptable. But um, when you get out, when you take off the uniform, it's important for you to really have your own vision, your own goals and, and, and move in those directions. And that takes investment, maybe coaching, uh, personal growth, leadership growth, career coaching, all those things are really valuable. and. If a veteran's listening, I encourage you to pay for it yourself. Go get it. Find quality uh, experts to help you really enrich your life so that you know where you're going to find the most meaning. It just doesn't come to you. You've got to work at it. 
you got to work at it. That's the biggest lesson, I think. I, I agree with you. And for the experience I've had in working with folks in career transition, what I learned a long time ago is to encourage them to take a moment and, and really do the work to reconnect with that personal sense of purpose. Yes. Because we can get spun up, we can get busy, and we can even get moved through a career progression. Maybe it's promotions, maybe it's advancement, deployments, reassignments. And over time, all of a sudden, you, you run the risk of waking up one day and saying, who am I and where am I going? Well, uh, right. what is this all about? Right. And particularly when you're faced, and this is true for everyone, even in the civilian workforce, when you're faced with a transition, the job went away. In this case, for the veterans, their time in service was done. They're now separated. That's a that's a major pivot major. point. And major. And you need to reset the foundation and be sure you know what your launch pad is. You know, where are you mm -hmm. coming from mentally, emotionally? And what are the things that could be motivators for you? Yes, we can, we can build your list of skills and abilities. But let's, even before we go there, let's start with working on that sense of purpose. Absolutely, because that purpose and mission really drives military people. They're used to doing something bigger and better than themselves. And over and over again, when I go out into uh, veteran career hiring events, I hear veterans speak about their employers. And one of the first things they say about satisfied, uh, uh, as satisfied employees is the sense of mission that their work gives them. So if, if you know, it's just, it's really fundamental to, um, life to, to, to know who you are and what gives you that meaning. And it's worth investing. And in. maybe you take a job that, you know, kind of helps pays the bills, but always, always, always have your eye on the ball looking towards, you know, who am I? What legacy do I want to leave? What, what really makes me tick? Because A, that's where you'll be most successful. B, you could probably make good money at it. And C, you're going to be happiest. Right, right. And I always quote Mark Twain, who was attributed with saying two important days in an individual's life, the day they were born and the day they figure out why. Oh, I love that. And I couldn't agree more with that sentiment. Yeah. And I've, I've got dozens, if not hundreds of cases of individuals who have agreed to sit down, take a minute, do that work, really think about it. And then there are tools and abilities and, yes. and a well-trained coach like myself or, or you, Kathy, could really help someone go through that process so they can come to that, that conclusion and have that personal vision for where they want to go and what they want to be about. Mm -hmm. Well, I enjoy coaching employers to help them know where to source talent, and how to maximize their investment in this talent to help them build stronger workforces. Um, I, uh, Veteran Talent Academy is something I do a couple times a year. And one course focuses on fundamentals. The other is uh, more on uh, advanced individual training, I call it, a, a, pun on, a pun on words, but we go more into retention and messaging and onboarding. And so I invite anybody who's listening to participate in that. And, uh, and to reach out if you'd like to build your talent attraction and retention strategy. It's, 
It's about developing trusting relationships, trusting partnerships with sources of veteran talent, distinguishing your company as um, veteran friendly locally and nationally, depending on where you hire people from. And then, you know, continuing to be involved in the in the veteran community and then, you know, implementing best practices that, you know, that, that have been successful in other companies. So that that's my life's calling. My life's calling is to cultivate civilian veteran champions. And that's what my book is all about. Yeah. So let's talk about your book. The title, there's an image of it on the video here, Beyond Thank You for Your Service. That's, that's, uh, I know that's a popular and wonderful sentiment when someone sees a service member, but uh, talk, talk a little more about the inspiration for that title. Oh, okay. Um, well, I wanted it to be something that resonated with civilians that um, is just, you know, well known and popular. Uh, and the, the remaining part of the title is the Veteran Champion Handbook for Civilians. So it's chock full of practical strategies, no matter where you are in life, if you're an employer, a lawyer, a healthcare provider, an educator, or a member of faith communities, there's practical strategies in there that anybody can use from their circle of influence to improve quality of life, workforce, and community. And it's founded on the notion of building, really just being purposeful about building trusting relationships, going beyond words into actions that really promote engagement, understanding, and uh, and benefit for, for all those concerned. A, a veteran champion is someone who creates mutually beneficial activities and services um, from wherever from wherever you sit. And so it's um, we, we need to go beyond. Um, we need to be thinking about that in our daily work. You know, no action is too small. It's not rocket science, it's people science. So there's just so much that, you know, anybody who's listening can do. The book is available on Amazon. Um, I, I want to transition just real quickly uh, back to that um, uh, personal experience or no, the, the gentleman who was saying, let's take the hill to his employees and how that resonated, you know, with, with the veteran uh, guests that you were speaking with. Beyond Thank You for Your Service has sort of a, a similar, I've had similar kind of conversations uh, with uh, with others or companies. And one company was saying that the veterans in their employee was like, well, they're not sure they want to hear that. Because, um, you know, it, sometimes, and maybe some ways it's not real. It, it, it could be more, it, it may be too superficial or, you know, the, oh, you don't really understand what I've been through or, you know, just some, some uncertainty. And so some of the other phrases that, um, I think are worthy to be considered are, thank you for wearing the uniform. How does that hit you when you hear that phrase, Doug, as a military person? That actually does just on the cuff that has a, a, a different and slightly deeper meaning than thank you yes. for your service. Yes, yes. And, and to me, it means, oh my gosh, you know that when I wear that uniform, I have a huge sense of pride. You understand that it represents the, you know, American flag, if you will. You understand the the discipline and sacrifice that it took for me to wear this uniform. You understand that I had to make sure I could pass a PT test and I had to do push-ups and sit-ups and make sure I made time for that so I could pass. I mean, you know, that's sort of silly, but 
but it's true. I mean, the uniform represents so much to, to those of us who wear it. Or the other thing you might uh, consider is, you know, thank you for your service and sacrifice. Um, you know, because it, you know, certainly we're grateful that people thank us for our service. But, um, you know, if you can, you know, do it with the right affect body language so that the veteran really feels that, you know, you really mean it and that um, it's, it's as special to you as it is to them who wear the uniform, right? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a comment that's made simply in passing. Um, it's a comment that, that we appreciate, but that can, can have even deeper meaning depending on how you might want to approach it. I love it. I love it. Well, you you covered the other side of the coin when I asked you the question. We talk about the veterans' kind of duties and obligations to make the transition. You, the next part of that, the flip side of the coin was the employers need to understand and and look for and think about opportunity as well. And I, I think you covered that nicely. I I, I think the at least what's going through my mind is is the idea that I think the average small business owner on on one hand not making excuses, but they generally don't have time to think about the nuances of the different pieces of their company. You know, they think in terms of I've got to hire somebody to do X. Right. They usually don't take it another layer and say what might be the best source of a person that would have that skill and could bring that value to my company? They, they, they usually don't go quite that far in the thinking and mm. arguably they should, but the reality is they just don't. And un unless the company has matured a little bit, formalized a few more of their process and systems support ideas, they they may not be pulling those triggers and 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 thinking at that level. So, I think raising the awareness of the possibility and and getting them to have that consideration that a really good talent pool might be right down the street in the form of some local organization, some okay. local chapter of a national program something like that, that they could really tap into. Well, and, and sometimes it takes a little bit of digging to find those organizations, okay? But, you know, uh, typically if we have that awareness, then things start becoming more apparent. So if you're thinking, your mindset is, oh yeah, I know veterans would be really helpful in my workforce. Where can I find them? Well, um, I would encourage you to talk to your local chamber of commerce. They may have some ideas, okay? Uh, it depends on how prevalent military people are in your uh, local state, but a chamber is a great place to start. You might get a no. Also, I would look at sort of your statewide job board. Many states offer, you know, elevation of veteran candidates, or you can flag your company as a veteran-friendly candidate so that veterans know to to, to seek after you. Um, and then there's there's national programs like Hire Our Heroes that have job boards, Recruit Military has uh, career fairs across the nation. But just start putting up your radar a little bit about, or 
just asking around, uh, where can I find, if there's a, a National Guard base or a active duty base close by, uh, start asking questions and be persistent. Uh, if, if you really, if you, if you really, uh, if you'd like some more information, I do offer directories of statewide nation of, of Maricopa and uh, Central Ohio directories with people's names, but also, you know, kind of a nationwide directory. So you have, so you know, places to start. Just, you know, understand, give back, if you have a, a, a resume that comes across your desk, that someone has military experience, I encourage you to put it at the top of the pack. And many companies, regardless of their size, regardless of their size, will make sure that that veteran job seeker gets a phone call, gets an interview, and then you just gotta be creative about figuring out where could that veteran fit in. And um, you know, hopefully you hire for aptitude and train you stand to gain mightily if you do so i love it and, and very good caveat there at the end and message to the business owners out there and and this is just a, a key principle in my own coaching practice when it comes to the people side of your business you, you need to hire first for the sense of value and and uh, purpose that a, a person can bring because you can match up and you can train on skills and abilities. But most of the time people have that upside down. They go looking first for the skill and then they worry about the behavior and the mindset separately. And that's where the wheels usually come off. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what, that happens no matter where you are transitioning. Just a quick story. I was a, um, a nurse in, at the 121st Air Refueling Wing in Columbus, Ohio, a part-time nurse, a traditional guardsman, okay? And an opening came up for a full-time position as an executive officer. And I applied and I was hired based on aptitude and trained, you know, even within military to military position. You know, I didn't know anything about operational flying or um, you know, how to, how to, how to run a, a wing. And, you know, because I had the personality and the values, um, you know, even within the military um, organization, uh, I was given that opportunity. My boss said, I'd rather hire for nice and train, right? Uh, it was, it was, it was, it was tough for me to come up to speed, but I did it and um, loved it and, you know, made a big difference. I, I, I would consider that a high impact hire because yeah, I made a difference. Well, it's it, to that point, it's a popular phrase among all the HR people I've ever known that people get hired on skill and they get fired on behavior. Oh. Mm -hmm. And um, my, so uh, taking that thought, I go the other way when I talk to business owners who have a hiring opportunity do everything you can to interview about behavior and then see what the match is on the skill. And certainly, you know, you, you've got to judge the, the mountain to climb on the training, but um, I wouldn't necessarily to use a military analogy. I wouldn't necessarily hire an aircraft mechanic to be my pilot because the training there might be a bit too far but th there are overlaps that, that can work and you 
you, you can you can do that work. But the point is, all too often we're so hardline focused on the skill we think we need, and does somebody know anything about that? And we plug somebody in, and they've got a mindset, a personal set of values that is contrary to everything we're trying to build as a brand in a company. Well, just just real quick, ninety percent of the military occupations have a direct civilian equivalent. You just gotta just gotta look a little bit. Use those military skills translators to figure out how to make those matches that will um, that'll make you real happy and and give give the veteran uh, a new uh, purpose and hopefully sense of belonging. Well, very good. Well, on that note, Kathy, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for sitting in. Folks, we're going to have contact info in the show notes here on how to get a hold of Kathy and all of her references that she's cited here for us. We're not going to walk back through that right now, but uh, one last time, Kathy, thank you for sitting in. I really appreciate you sharing with us. Well, Doug, thank you for your service and for being that veteran advocate and getting the word out about the value of veteran talent and how civilians can become veteran champions in their own right. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, you're very welcome. And with that, folks, we are going to wrap it up, say goodbye. And I want to wish you to go out there and have, make it a great day. We'll see you again real soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.